Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show, we have Georgiana Laudi, co-founder of Forget the Funnel. In this episode, we talked about how Georgiana decided to focus on SaaS and build Forget the Funnel, the type of work they do for their clients, and how they evaluate the health of their clients' business to identify where there's an opportunity for growth. We also discussed the Jobs to be Done framework, their process, how they set up and conduct surveys in order to pull out what the customer's jobs to be done are. And lastly, we talked about customer experience mapping. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode. And if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With the browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable and growing. Strategies, tactics and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael. And here's today's episode. Hey, Gia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So for the listeners, Gia is the co-founder of Forget the Funnel, a content series for growth leaders at SaaS companies. She has also been working with SaaS companies like Unbounce, AppQs, and Sprout Social since 2009, and has been launching and building B2B and B2C brands online since Y2K was a thing. In three years, she built a team that grew revenue 900% and was awarded the 14th spot in the Deloitte Technology Fast 50 without any major funding. Uh, so my first question for you, Gia, is why did you decide to focus on SaaS? What is it about you that attracted you to found Forget the Funnel and uh, work as a consultant and advisor to so many companies in the space? Mm, question I love to answer, actually. Uh, so I've been working in the marketing space for a long time, uh, as you just noted, and I, when I, when I sort of made the switch over to working with startups and getting sort of involved in the, in the tech community locally, I was exposed to this business model that is software as a service, which essentially turned marketing into something that wasn't just focused on acquisition, but was really a major driver for growth across the entire customer experience. So any company that, you know, was solely focusing on marketing as an acquisition, as an acquisition, um, strategy was sort of, uh, handcuffing themselves a little bit. And obviously there's a lot of potential post acquisition for marketing to add a lot of value. Absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, that sort of mindset, when you bring it from a traditional B2C company, that's not SaaS and selling products outside the marketing role changes quite a bit in terms mm -hmm. of the areas of focus and uh, where you specialize as well. And it becomes a lot more areas to specialize, I think. Uh, maybe you want to talk us a little bit about uh, the type of advising that you do and what you do when you work with companies. So 
uh, coming to SaaS companies, what would that typically look like when you work with a company like Unbounce or FQs? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Unbounce, I was in-house with for uh, seven, for five years, I'm sorry. And so with at, that looks obviously, a, that looked a little bit differently, obviously, than the, than the companies that I've been working with uh, before that and since then. Uh, because I have a marketing title, uh, typically uh, founders will reach out with, you know, we need more leads, we need more acquisition, we want more signups, we want to build, you know, more, more or generate more awareness and, and generate demand. Uh, and they really are largely focused on more traditional marketing, like we were just talking about. Generally, what happens though is very shortly after talking to them for, uh, sometimes it only takes a few minutes, it becomes really obvious that their biggest opportunity isn't actually marketing and acquisition, but rather helping them get better at uh, converting or activating or onboarding, whatever terminology you prefer, uh, the leads that the company's already generating. And so instead of you know filling the, the, the leaky bucket, as you say, um, helping them sort of uh, figure out how to convert more of them into actually happily paying you know, loyal customers. So that is a large part of the focus, um, especially now as, you know, through the years, it's evolved a little bit from, from just, you know, a little bit more straightforward marketing strategy through to helping them, helping companies identify their ideal customers, um, get really clear on what their ideal customers' struggles are, what motivates them, uh, their desired outcomes. Using the jobs to be done framework has been really, really um, a critical component for the last few years for me for helping sort of companies understand quite simply how to position themselves or or put themselves in a position where they can um, help customers, their ideal customers, which is a really, really important distinction that I don't think is made often enough, but help those ideal customers see value as quickly as possible, understand implicitly how your products can help them solve that struggle and get um, get really clear on um, you know, the sort of the long standing sort of, uh, relationship potential there is between, you know, the customer and the product. So using that jobs to be done framework helps you sort of put the bones in place for, um, and get a high level sort of view on what kind of experience you should be creating for those ideal customers. Absolutely. So we work with companies to help them do that. Cool. Yeah. So you said quite a few things and I want to unpack a couple of topics on this. And I think this might even take us through the episode, just the, <laughs> you know, this thing alone. So yeah. the one interesting thing, and I think it's definitely something that's not talked about enough and uh, is this concept that you mentioned that most people as a marketing title, they come to you and they look for to acquire new leads or to uh, try drive new traffic. Mm-hmm. And you quickly realize yourself that that's not the problem and they need to be looking sort of further down the funnel in terms of activation and onboarding. And how does this typically go about? What is your process in, in identifying this? Like what does the conversation then happen with the client or the customer to reach out? Um, and how do you know as well, like when is the right balance between focusing on acquisition versus uh, other initiatives further down that will lead to activation or retention? Yeah, Uh, it's a really interesting question because unfortunately, as so many things, it will really, really depend. But in general, um, when I can get to that sort of depth of conversation with the team, I do have some sense of the health of the business. And so if I can get sort of a picture of 
um, how far along the business is in terms of uh, sort of um, maturity, uh, size of team, number of customers, things like that, then also get a good sort of um, sense of performance. Uh, so maybe traffic, traffic in general is like the least important metric for me, but finding out how their website performs, how their general onboarding performs. So everything from, you know, uh, generating a lead or a sign up, uh, whatever, you know, whatever that version looks like for that company all the way through to, you know, uh, a happily paying customer or even just a new customer and finding out what the health there is pretty quickly it becomes kind of it becomes obvious if you put together a couple just string together a few of those pieces of information it becomes quite obvious where there's an opportunity for growth or where you should sort of where you could lean into first to get the biggest sort of bang for your buck so to speak um you know for your investment of time Generally, uh, I won't say in all cases, because it's definitely not, you know, across the board. It's not every company that has an onboarding and activation problem, not at all, but uh, it is super, super common. Yeah. Um, So if I, you know, if generally, if I'm speaking about those numbers and we're talking at that high level about the business and about the health of the business, Honestly, it starts to click in every, everybody who's on the call, it sort of starts to click and become really, really obvious that like, oh, there is probably more we could be doing there. And, you know, when I, I don't like to talk in terms of like, what's a good conversion rate and what's a good, uh, you know, onboarding rate. Cause obviously there's so, there's so many things that influence that. So I could never say from a, sort yeah. of a blanket number perspective, but having all the other information about that business, what, you know, the, the pre or sorry, um, the sort of marketing, uh, effort sort of looks like what kind of programs are being run there, how the website sort of looks and feels and how, you know, they're currently, uh, generating leads or, or demos or signups to, you know, general health and understanding of, of retention and what the product is about and who their market is. Generally you can, uh, it becomes pretty obvious to everybody in the room, so to speak, that, uh, where, where it is most advantageous to lean in and, I would say maybe 75, 85% of the time, that'll be somewhere in the middle of the funnel in the evaluation phase during activation or onboarding. Yeah, I think it's one of those concepts as well that it's definitely changing and uh, the industry and is maturing. But when you think of the term growth, more often than people don't think of the opportunities of growth being further down the funnel in terms of activation um, and Which onboarding. Crazy. It's crazy when you think about the compounding effects it does have as well. So like yeah. uh, driving more traffic it can only take you so far, but increasing yeah. retention on the other end, especially in the SaaS business, like the compounding effects just way outweigh anything you can do at the top of the funnel to try and drive mm-hmm. new traffic. Um, yeah, so you mentioned then as well, um, I think this is obviously one thing that one concept that it's this mindset and the shift that needs to happen when you think about growth as well. It's, it's not really just about bringing new feet through the door and getting signups, but growth has different elements to it. And there's other ways to grow your company and grow like the, your net MRR and subscription business. You started talking a little bit about then about the ideal customer profile and you work with companies to identify this. And mm-hmm. uh, this is something we talk about a lot on the show. Uh, and I think it is because it's so central to the whole concept of retaining customers is mm-hmm. you can only retain customers if you know uh, extremely well who those customers are, what their pain points and their problems are, 
and how you can best serve them. And you mentioned job speed and framework. Yeah. Um, we chatted about this on an episode um, maybe about six months ago, um, but I want to get a little bit of a recap again for the audience and uh, go a little bit deeper on the jobs to be done framework. So maybe you want to explain to us like how you're using it with your customers, what your process looks like uh, when working through the exercises with them, and then what do you expect to deliver at the end of this like once you've gone through a jobs to be done exercise with the company? Yeah. Uh, well, the outcome is always different because the outcome will will depend on what that biggest sort of uh, growth lever is that we've identified in early conversations. Like I said, most of the time or many, you know, in many, many occasions that is the activation, but that's not always the case. So the outcome of the work uh, of, you know, identifying your ideal customer's uh, job to be done and then taking action based on that will completely differ uh, depending on what that biggest opportunity is or that biggest growth lever. So the process that we go through, again, we will um, lean in to the, where we think the biggest opportunity is for the company, but we don't go so, um, we don't go so narrow in focus that if another opportunity at another point in the customer experience sort of makes itself obvious that we can't change direction, obviously. Uh, so generally what we try to do is we will, um, so my business partner and I, Claire Solentrop and I, we go through a process of trying to identify what does the company think is, is the biggest problem, right? What, where do they see the biggest opportunity? And uh, based on that, and then also uh, some research that we do. So generally we don't like to spend months on research and we could absolutely uh, you know, do in-depth research uh, for, you know, a long period of time. Generally, companies, especially in tech, uh, they don't want to invest in months worth of research and totally understandable. So we try not to make, you know, we try not to um, try not to make our research process super long, but we try to do enough research so that we can develop a pretty strong hypothesis and then uh, build an exp a customer experience on, based on that hypothesis that we can then test with a certain segment of customers. So the process that we run through is a series of surveys and interviews that we can generally turn around in a couple of weeks, really. Like it's, it, we've gotten this to a really, uh, there's a really sort of a few key questions and a few key things that we try to identify and, and we can take that customer data that we collect which is generally qualitative, but obviously we do lean into um, quantitative as well, especially when we're trying to identify who should we even be, you know, learning from, which customers we should, should we even be learning from. So actually I should start, I should actually start there. So learning from the company, what their ideal, uh, what their most product fit, their best fit uh, customers are, we would look at those customers that probably didn't sign up so long ago that they forget that what life was like before uh, they became customers. Um, not so soon that they have not yet activated and, and um, turned their relationship with the company into, you know, something that is in, a, engaging and uh, that and habit forming and that has a frequency of usage that, you know, uh, is what the company is aiming for, which obviously looks completely different at every company. So again, there's no, you know, I'm not talking about daily active users here, uh, yeah. but I am talking about their best customers and really zeroing in our, our research on just those 
customers. So generally, uh, we will be looking for a few hundred that we'll look to learn from with a few surveys, and then we'll dig deeper. From those surveys, we'll go into interviews. And from those interviews, we'll be able to come out with uh, patterns that we can recognize in there that will generally help us figure out Okay, of the customers that are super happy with this product right now, um, what do what are the commonalities that we're seeing? And this is art more than it is science. I wish I could say this is you know a paint by numbers thing, and it, it's not. Uh, but if we can identify some themes and then lean into those themes and figure out which group, which you know struggle that was being solved, which str- which struggle did somebody come to this uh, company with? with uh, that felt the pain most, um, you know, viscerally uh, that needed to solve that problem very quickly. They championed this, the solution to this problem within their company. Obviously I'm talking about a B2B situation here. Um, And if we can find those groups and identify those patterns, then we can then go back to uh, the executive team or the leadership team and, and put them forth as basically options because it's not, like we're going to say, well, this is your best customer over here, even though the company might, they might be on a different path, right? There's, there's a, there's a give and take there. And it's not always a hundred percent straightforward, which direction the company is headed in, which problem or which uh, customer they care about solving for the most uh, market opportunity. There's a lot of things at play. Uh, So we will work with the company to zero in on which one of those groups they are the best equipped to serve in the short term, but also balance that with the long-term plans of the company so that we can uh, get onto interviews, really find out, get to that deeper level, and then identify their job to be done, which is, you know, I'm I just being over, overly simplistic about it. We generally center this around a customer job statement, which is, when I, I want to, so I can. And the when I is their situation or struggle. I want to helps us identify patterns in their motivations and objections. And then so I can will give us a picture of what can they do now that they weren't able to do before they became a customer. And if we can get the answers to though, if we can, you know, if we can come up with a uh, a job statement and figure out the answers to those questions, then we're in a really, really powerful position to influence not only activation, but we we can influence the marketing, uh, you know, the front end of this thing. We can completely reposition the the company if we wanted to, and the website and and campaigns. We can completely we can influence activation and the onboarding experience in a really sort of meaningful way that. Um, communicates that the the struggle, obviously, that gives them what they need to see in what order they need to see it during their onboarding. And then, of course, helps them get to that sort of engagement moment where they are finally, they've reached their desired outcome. Now, there's one major caveat here in that once they have received, once they have achieved that desired outcome, when they become an engaged, loyal customer for that product and of that company, their job very likely changes into something else and evolves from that point on. So there is always more, there's always another job to be done. Once you've solved that first job and helped somebody get to their first desired outcome, there is always another story there to pursue where you might look to um, expansion opportunities, retention opportunities, uh, all kinds of things that can happen post 
you know, engaged or loyal customer. We call it, you know, engagement. Um, but I know companies call that a lot of different things. But that's generally our process for helping them identify their customer job for solving that first struggle that they come to the company with, which, like I said, it helps us it helps us, uh, you know, develop a hypothesis for what the onboarding experience should look like for that customer. Uh, it also puts us in a position to um, figure out which marketing channels to that we could leverage. Uh, you know, what kind of messaging we should be using on, on our website. Uh, co content opportunities. You know, I, there's lots and lots that can come out of just that simple research. Also, there may be more than one job that your company. Uh, helps a customer solve. Um, so you may decide that it's not one, it's two or three. And that's absolutely an, uh, an option. And with a lot of companies that have worked with, we will try to address uh, all three or maybe two, depending on the company. And then we can also serve up an onboarding that is most relevant to the given job, if that makes sense. So yeah. we can get pretty granular. Absolutely. Like, I think this is one thing that Basecamp obviously live and breathe when it comes to jobs to be done. And uh, we actually had Ryan Singer on the show as well talk about this from a product lens. Uh, mm -hmm. He even went as far as talking, saying like the, how they interrogate their customers to be able to build uh, the best product. But So just to recap a little bit of what you were saying now is this process that you take generally would be starting uh, potentially with uh, quantitative data, looking to try and see like who is it that's getting value out of the product that's uh, got to that point uh, where they experiencing this sort of um, value proposition of it. And then you'd want to then look quantitatively and ask uh, various questions, trying to understand what their job, what their pain point was. Maybe you want to talk us through a couple of the questions that would go out in that first survey before you get to the stage where you start interviewing customers. What would the typical questions look like on that survey? How would somebody go about setting this up? Right, so there are two different surveys that we use often, and one is at the website sort of shopper level, and the other one is at that for that customer group that we just identified as being best fit customers for this. Um, well, best fit customers, I'm sorry, best customers, um, because it might not they might not all be the best fit customers, but they're the customers that we can say uh, with confidence are loyal and you know, uh, not likely to churn. So the, the questions that we ask those customers, which again, I mentioned this before, but they are recent enough customers in that high value sort of category that they remember what life was like before, because we're trying to paint a, a story. Essentially, we're trying to write the story of what life was like before, how you were solving this problem prior to finding us as a solution. Um, what was the moment um, that you knew that um, this was going to be the right solution for you? And then the sort of typical, like now that you have our solution, what are you able to do now that you weren't before? So there's a, a series of questions that essentially tries to pull out what that customer job statement is, right? So, um, you know, what was going on in your world that led you to sign up or to seek a solution actually? And then um, the other questions that I just mentioned, but that survey which is only about five to six questions maximum. Sometimes there's a segmenting question that we will add in there just in case, um, depending on the, the group that we're surveying, we may need to add a segmenting question in, but it depends on what information the company that we're working with has about these, about these customers. And then we'll complement that also with a survey that's run on the website, which identifies 
the level of awareness of people who are shopping with the in uh, on the website. So of the people who land on your website and who are seeking a solution, how many of them are, um, you know, far along in their research process or how many of them are seeking this solution for the first time and they don't even know what a solution like yours does. Are they, you know, solution aware, product aware? Uh, and so we try to find that out as well on the website side. And then um, for people who are shopping for a solution, how they're currently solving the problem uh, that they have and uh, whether or not that's a competing product or some sort of alternative way, you know, spreadsheets being the classic alternative way um, that Just you would solve, solve a problem that, you know, software solves, right? Um, so thinking in terms of, might be the old way or the manual way of sending things. The the um, the Calendly alternative solutions example is great in that you know when people are are evaluating Calendly, they're not comparing Calendly to a direct competitor. They're comparing Cal- Calendly to the pain of trying to manually schedule calendars or calendar events and meetings. So that's the classic. So we try to figure that out as well on for people who are seeking a solution and then. Uh, what other questions are on the website survey? Hold on, let me see if I can search my memory here. Um, oh yeah, the what what it is that they believe, so the people who are shopping for a solution, what it is that they believe is the most important thing in solving that. So what's the, what's the biggest pain there? What are they looking for most in a solution? And that is really helpful as well, even though it may not translate to what you will offer them during uh, onboarding or activation down the line, it does help you uh, it, it does help you figure out, um, what to sort of, uh, double down on, on your website and maybe the hierarchy of messaging on your website and how you sort of introduce the solution to them. Um, anyways, and then we take those two surveys and we compare the two of them and we really use them to sort of, uh, strengthen each other. And from there, generally from the customer survey, we can identify who we, who it is we need to get on a call with. Surveys are not always possible. There are scenarios where interviews are the only scenario we have to we have to start with interviews. And uh, in some scenarios where there's a bigger customer base, we can use surveys to help us narrow down who to run our interviews with. And that's one of our favorite ways to get uh, to qualify people to get uh, to prioritize them rather for uh, interviews who you want to be speaking to. And then uh, obviously I think then the next step would be on the interview is really just sort of trying to dig out as much detail around the questions you'd been asking in the survey to fill the picture and color it in. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And then, so this then, like you mentioned, you would then present it to the company with the jobs to be done. And just there's so many different ways that this information can be used. And uh, when we think about in the, the context of sort of churn and retention, it's really about like helping the product team build the product that's going to solve the use case or the solve the specific pain point and uh, job to be done that the customer has. The marketing, like you say, is really speaking to that problem and it's speaking to that job. So you're not getting people signing up and then uh, reading one thing on your marketing page, but then experiencing something totally different in your product. And I think it is a really, really powerful tool just to align the entire organization behind helping your customers achieve what they need to be achieving and uh, getting to them to that point to where they're experiencing value in your product and building habits around it. Yeah. 
the operationalizing uh, of this insight is really, really critical. So once we can get alignment with a company on, uh, you know, the the highest value job uh, that we want to focus on or highest value, you know, customer group to focus on, uh, generally what we will do is go to customer experience mapping, which is essentially taking that customer job and identifying for the entire customer experience, everything from experiencing the problem that you solve all the way through to expansion and retention and referral. And if we can, uh, basically we map the customer experience that the whole way, we try to identify as much as possible with that research and through the interviews as well, identify what the biggest leaps of faith are that these customers have to take in their relationship with you. And generally there are um, a handful. So again, that job statement is a really critical sort of milestone to get really clear on with a company, but it is the, the start of the of the story. Um, but once we can get alignment on that, then we can we can map the customer experience, identify those milestones or or those we call them you know customer success milestones or leaps of faith, and dig into each of them through these lenses of what are people doing uh, when they're experiencing each of these stages of the customer experience? How are they feeling? Um, what is motivating them? What objections might they have at each of these stages? And then we can identify through that process of identifying these, these milestones, we can figure out exactly where the where where to invest our time in first. And in general, like I said before, it, it tends to be during that evaluation phase, but that's not the only place we'd zoom in on. Um, for each of those milestones, we will identify a key performance indicator that is most indicative of the customer achieving that customer success milestone. So generally companies will use, oh, well, they signed up on the website or they entered their credit card or, um, you know, they're a daily active or weekly active, whatever user, they've hit this engagement moment. And we tend to rely on KPIs like that a lot as, as SaaS companies. But when you can flip the sort of mindset of the entire business and all the teams really around what are our customers' leaps of faith? What are our customers' milestones in their relationship with us? And then measure how good of a job we are doing at helping our customers through each of those milestones, then we can get much more um, directed in our focus and, and our strategies and programs that we implement in order to help customers through each of those stages. And that is a really powerful way to operationalize this customer uh, job. Um, and then you would actually wanna create one of those customer experience maps for each of your customer jobs, though they may be similar from job to job. So, for instance, if you're if you're if you have your SaaS company has, um, you know, multiple segments that you uh, maybe you have maybe you sell to brands and to agencies, for example, you would probably need to have a well, you should have a different onboarding and diff, slightly different messaging. You will need to have slightly different messaging for each of those groups, and so each of those groups need its own customer job and its own customer uh, experience map with its own KPIs and measures of success. And when your team is trying to solve for each of those customers, they should be you know, holding just that those KPIs in their mind's eye and what those customers need at each given milestone. Um, it sounds kind of abstract when I'm just like speaking it and without any sort of visuals, I wanna like, I'm like waving yeah. my arms around, mm -hmm. but um, 
it really can help teams to figure out uh, where to focus, uh, where the biggest opportunity is, um, what what mindset people are in, the the language they use, you know, when they are experiencing these different stages. So whether or not they're uh, onboarding into your product or whether or not they're on your website, I mean, customers will use very uh, specific language and have very specific uh, objections or motivations depending on what leap of faith you are asking them to take next. And so if teams can have that sort of um, fleshed out for them and have access to that information, they can build much more powerful strategies and programs to help customers through those milestones. And so when we're with a company, when we're working with a company on this, we will develop KPIs for each of those, you know, leaps of faith that customers go through and then start doing some benchmarking. How good of a job are we doing? Uh, where, where is there room for improvement? Um, that is either a relatively easy for the company to implement, but probably even more importantly, where are we, you know, falling down the most, where's the biggest opportunity for growth and generally we'll prioritize, uh, you know, whichever one that we think there's the biggest opportunity, um, from a from the perspective of revenue lost now, right? So you will not fix your, you know, you're not going to fix the your marketing uh, when your when your onboarding is not helping anybody, you know, onboard into your into your product or activate in your product. There's no point in investing in marketing before you have that problem fixed. So that's a perfect example of priority number one. Make sure activation is, you know, up to speed. Actually, priority number one is engagement. <laughs> if you are not able to retain customers, you've got bigger problems than activation and uh, sign-ups. You, you don't have a business. <laughs> you don't have a business, exactly. So all of this, by the way, the ma the major caveat on the background here is your your product has to be, you know, in a, has to be retaining happy customers. If you are not in a position to, if you don't have engaged customers, then that's obviously the first place you should be focused. But then after that, helping them, uh, helping new customers onboard into your product as seamlessly as possible with the least amount of support from your team as possible, because that's super costly and a sustainable and scalable way. Well, then you're in a really good position to turn up the dial on marketing. Yeah, uh, definitely. This is something as well, like we spoke about in a previous episode with Heidi Gibson from GoDaddy and the concepts of sort of KPIs and focusing on vanity metrics as opposed to real KPIs that are delivering value to your customer. And ultimately, I think what they found as well was similar to what you're saying now is like their customers had a job to be done when it came and it wasn't setting up a website or uh, creating a new page, which was like some of maybe the typical uh, KPIs that companies would select. But they realized that through their customers setting up a web page, it wasn't that they just wanted to have a page on the internet. It's that if they were a barbershop, they wanted to get bookings. If they were an e-commerce store, right. they wanted to get sales. Uh, and then they started to switch their measurements of focus to actually how many sales are we driving for e-commerce sites? How many bookings are headdresses making using our platform? Um, and really then reverse engineering backwards along the user journey and saying, okay, what do we need to do to get more traffic to the site, which we know gets more bookings? And then what are the sites doing that do this? And then they sort of took this approach backwards and brought that back all the way up into their marketing uh, exactly. as well and then made sure that they had the right KPIs and focused on the customer value as opposed to sort of their own internal uh, vanity metrics and then they're like signups and uh, things that mean nothing, especially yep. in a subscription business if you're not delivering yep. value. 
Cool. I, I see we're running up on time as well. So mm. I saved the last question for last that I mentioned earlier that I ask everyone that joins this show. Um, let's imagine a hypothetical scenario now and you've joined a new company or you've come into a new company and uh, the CEO of the company has asked you to try and help turn churn around. Churn's not doing good at this company and they're struggling to retain customers. Mm. And they want to try and see results in 90 days, first three months. Uh, what would you be wanting to do with your time to try and get some results for this company in those 90 days? Well, I would definitely want to know where the what, at what point in the customer experience is the majority of the churn um, happening? Is it during activation? Is it at that engagement stage or is it post, uh, post engagement and, and uh, into sort of, you know, the more further along in the relationship? Is there a point where uh, you're not able to solve their problem anymore because they can't evolve with you as a company. Um, so if I could zero, I mean, it's kind of the same as, as before I would be zeroing in on, uh, the stage in the customer experience that the company is doing, um, uh, not as, as good of a job at. So where are we losing the majority of people, but the process would be the same. I can, the process that I just described to you before with the research and the identifying job and, and then mapping the customer experience and then uh, developing those KPIs, that is work that can be done pretty quickly. Um, you know, will it need to, can, will you need to continue to iterate on it in the future? A hundred percent, but that can absolutely be done in a quarter. So three months would be, uh, quite enough time to develop a really, really strong hypothesis about where in the customer experience the team needs to zero in on and improve the experience. So that's a, I would, I would spend it doing exactly what I was just exactly. describing before. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Definitely. I think that's obviously a great way to go about it is really just trying to understand where the biggest drop-off is uh, following the sort of the jobs to be done framework again and making sure that you focus on delivering value to your customer throughout the journey. Yeah. It's also important too that churn. I mean, churn is one of those one of those concepts that uh, is it's so complex. There's so many different uh, perspectives that I would be wondering if the if the if the customers that are churning are high value customers anyway. Are they even customers you should be trying to retain? And if they're not, then that's also a really great opportunity to turn things around. Um, earlier in the customer experience and doing a better job of expectation setting and articulating the problem that is solved and for who and how. Uh, so churn isn't, it's one of those, I mean, and, you, and I know you know this well, but it's one of those terms that um, you don't just try to fix churn um, just as a, a blanket across the board with all customers. Uh, that's not really an effective long-term strategy, but really um, identifying the most powerful uh, customer job and customer experience that you can be creating for customers that will stick around and will turn into loyal, happy, long-standing customers. That's the, the best place to focus. Absolutely. And not everyone is the right customer. And sometimes you need to fire some of them as well. Absolutely. Uh, and as you mentioned, obviously the show was built off the back of that. It's such a nuanced problem. So many different factors yeah. influence it. That, uh, And I loved as well that you, you throughout this uh, talk as well, you've alluded to giving specific numbers because I'm also of the, uh, the nature that benchmarks are total bullshit, I would say, especially mm -hmm. when it comes to like SaaS businesses and uh, churn and retention, because 
uh, what supplies to your business, it can be totally different in another business. And uh, yeah. just saying, okay, we have a monthly churn rate of 3% uh, might be uh, great for your business. It might be terrible for others as well. Exactly. So like, uh, really trying to understand what that means for your business is more important than anything else. Yep. Cool. Well, it's been a pleasure having you today, Gia. Is there anything like final thoughts you'd like to share with us before we leave? Any ways that the audience can keep up to speed with what you're up to and uh, anything you'd yeah. like to yeah, sure. Uh, Twitter's probably the best place to find me. Uh, Twitter handle is G-G-I-I-A-A. Um, kind of a silly handle that I grabbed back in like 2009. I could have had my first name. Really stupid. Um, but yeah, Twitter's probably the best place to find me. Um, and check out ForgetTheFunnel.com. We, uh, my business partner and I, Claire Solentrop, uh, we do produce uh, content for anybody responsible really for growth at a SaaS company. Um, and yeah, we would love to see you over there. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining today and I wish you best of luck going forward. Thank you. It was nice talking with you. Cheers. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts and more, Subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.